Hello, Digital Cathedral family. Brace yourselves for an awe-inspiring journey on Don Keithley's podcast. Take a seat, find your comfort, and let's plunge into the heart of the divine. The message for today, July 23rd, is titled, Five Signs You're a Grace Walker. A feast for your spirit. Good morning, everybody. Thank you for being with me once again here at the Digital Cathedral. If this is your first time with us, we give you a special welcome and God bless you. We hope you find the Digital Cathedral kind of fills that void that maybe you have because you don't have a Grace Church in your area, or maybe you are done with church. You're saying, I'm not going back. I've had enough, but you still have a spiritual hunger, spiritual appetite, and you sense that God is doing something in the earth today of which you are a part of. So glad that you're with me, whatever your situation and whatever the country is that you're viewing this from, whether it's on a Sunday morning or throughout the week. It's all part of the same Digital Cathedral family. I want to start this morning over in Galatians chapter 4. I want to read one verse of scripture, and I think what I want to do is to clarify some things that you may sense going on in your life, but maybe you haven't quite been able to put a handle on it. But things that you are noticing that are coming to the surface and are, are shaping the way that you live that you hadn't considered before. So just stick with me this morning. I'm going to give you five guideposts to help you determine if grace is really working in your life. Are you ready? Now this is this message this teaching is about grace. It's not about works, not about dedication, effort, sanctification, not about uh, praying and fasting, pushing into the things of God. I'm going to help you to see this morning and you can just evaluate your own situation because all of you are going to come from different levels on this, to actually determine if grace is getting some traction. So hang on. Galatians chapter 4, verse 19, Paul said this. He said, My little children, of whom I labor in birth again. <laughs> so evidently, Paul had been working on, on what he's about to say here. And he's, he's uh, given it several runs. And this is kind of what I'm doing this morning. He said, I labor in birth again until Christ is formed in you. Now, Christ is in all men. But when what Paul is talking about, until Christ is formed in you, is coming to the full realization of his actual working, not you living for Jesus. Remember, you live for Jesus for years. Or not as Jesus living through you. But it's no longer you who live, but Christ who lives as you. So we're learning to live a Christ is us life. And I'm going to do some extended teachings on that, I think, come fall or first of the year. So Paul is saying, I'm going to keep hammering away. I'm going to keep teaching until you recognize that Christ is fully formed in you. So the question this morning is this, how can you tell? How can you tell individual? I'd like to be in a room to you, maybe at the Starbucks over a cup of coffee or locally here at Luby's Cafeteria's come kind of my hangout. Just having lunch together and talking about how you can determine the level that Christ is working. <coughs> Excuse me. The level that he's actually working in your life. Which is one of the beauties of grace. Because grace picks you up exactly where you're at. Whatever level, whatever place of understanding that you're living from, it picks you up right where you're at and it begins the process of effortless change in your life. That's how I define grace. 
a divine influence that produces effortless change as you rest in him. So I want this morning, I want you to recognize, and like I say, be all different levels, but until Christ is formed in us, I want you to recognize the working of this divine influence in your life. When the message of grace, <clears throat> the radical hyper-pure grace that we talk about here at the Digital Cathedral, when that begins to really take hold in your life, when you begin to see uh, more and more of what the Father has always given to you, but maybe you weren't awakened to it. You weren't, you weren't uh, privy to it. <laughs> you didn't think. But this grace, again, is apart from efforts, apart from works, apart, apart from dedication. I'm not talking about the, any of that this morning. I'm talking about that divine influence that produces effortless change, and you're going to see the change as it begins uh, to work in your life. And as it does, it's going to cause a huge shift in the way that you see most everything in your life. Grace flips the script. So instead of you looking at God from your perspective and looking at uh, your circumstances and surroundings from your perspective, what grace does, grace takes you up in consciousness, not out there, but in consciousness, and enables you to see through the eyes of the Father. And when you see through the eyes of the Father, you're going to see no separation with people. It's going to, it's going to change most everything uh, that's happening in your life. It, it's going to change the way you read the Bible. It's going to change the way that you pray. And I'm not going to get into all this, but you, uh, these are just little things you're noticing. When you read the Bible, you're reading it with different eyes. You're seeing scriptures that have always been there, but you never saw them before. When you pray, you're not begging, pleading, and bawling and squalling to God. You're beginning to communicate with him, fellowship with him. It's, a, it's an entirely different, if I can use the word, different vibration that you're functioning in now in, in that Bible prayer time. It's going to change the way you see other people. You're not going to see people. You're seeing them from God's perspective. He doesn't see people after the flesh. He doesn't see them based on their actions, their activities. That's not the way he perceives them. When grace is clicking in your life and that influence is, is beginning to really move, it's going to change the way that you live. Your priorities are going to change. All right? And it's one of the biggest changes is going to be the way that you present Jesus to what I call pre-believers, those that are not awakened yet. Might be your religious relatives and family. It's, it's going to be the way that you carry yourself, your posture. Not just necessarily the words that come out of your mouth, although that's going to have an effect, but just the way that you, you enter a room. When you come into a room, the presence of God comes with you, and that's going to invoke change in itself. And most of all, grace is going to bust most every belief barrier and parameter and boundary that you had in your life. The finished work of the cross, which grace freely gives, right? Grace freely gives it. It's been direct deposited into every human when we resurrected with Jesus. The grace that he has given to every person is going to rock your personal mindsets, those preconceived mindsets that you had. When grace starts really functioning in your life, you may have noticed it, it, it blows up so much of what we had previously thought. Now, here's one of the real powers of grace. Grace brings freedom, and with that freedom that it brings, it gives you 
the revelation that you can think for yourself. The spirit of truth has not been emphasized in church circles. In fact, you have been discouraged from uh, believing for yourself or thinking for yourself or hearing. Really, you've been discouraged from hearing the voice of God for yourself, and you've been pretty well hoodwinked into, into being told that you can't trust yourself. You can't trust your heart. You you know what? It's, you, it's easy to be deceived. We give you the set of beliefs. We tell you what to believe and how to believe it and when to believe it. And, and, and you need to be really careful if you think you're hearing God for yourself. Grace frees you of that. And grace allows you now to begin to hear the voice of the good shepherd, which Jesus said all of his sheep are privy to. All of his sheep are tuned in to his voice. So grace brings that freedom. I like the way that Peter said it. I think it's 2 Peter chapter 1, maybe it's verse 2, 3 right in there. He said, grace and peace be multiplied. I love multiplied. Added is good. Multiplied is better. Grace and peace be multiplied to you through the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. And that's not intellectual knowledge. There's a place for that. It's not reading, reading the books kind of knowledge. Good place for that. Sometimes reading a book will trigger you into, into a deeper revelation. You ever done that? You ever been reading a, maybe a book by Baxter Kruger or Francois or Steve McVeigh, and you read a sentence in there, and it's like, bam, all of a sudden you see something. And it's totally contrary to everything you've ever seen before. And you know good and well that if you carry that over to the church, the pastor, the elders, the leadership, you're going to tell you, no, 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 no. That's an error. You, you don't want to believe that. Yet it resonates and it brings peace. So the knowledge that he's talking about is revelation knowledge. It's knowledge that you get because grace has changed now. The way that you pray, the way that you read your Bible, the books that you read. And so you're going to see things from an entirely different perspective. And eventually, grace forms fully the Christ that is within. As this transition happens, as this huge shift happens, you're going to notice, if you have not already, and as I, I click off, I'm going to give you five this morning, five little signposts that you're going to be able to look at your life and go, man, that's, that's really true. I hadn't really noticed that before. Or maybe you had noticed it. But grace is going to bring, through effortless change, through his divine influence as your heart opens up, you're going to see just how transformed grace has really worked in your life. And again, let me say, this is effortless change. As I get into these five, I'm probably going to say this several times. As I get into these five, I don't want you to say, I better try to make that happen. Or I, I need, I'm not probably dedicated enough. I'm not hearing enough. I, and you begin to feel a little bit frustrated that maybe you haven't noticed these working to the level that you would like. That's good. If it's not working to the level that you like, that shows that the divine influence is speaking to you. There's a good scripture that says, uh, Paul said that it's God who works in you, both to will and to do of his good pleasure. So he's working through grace, through that divine influence, as you lean back into him and rest. He's working that change. And it's producing not, not just his will, but the power to do it. It's God that works in you, both to will and to do of his good pleasure. That takes it out of your hands, puts it into his hands. It relieves a lot of pressure from us. So when grace begins to fully form the Christ within, and you start seeing so many things 
that the finished work of the cross, when Jesus said it's finished, there were things that were imparted to you, direct deposited, that began to work in your life. Here's going to be one of the first things that you notice. This is number one. You're going to notice that you now begin to yield automatically to the initial promptings of the Holy Spirit. You begin to yield to the initial promptings of the Holy Spirit. <clears throat> I'm going to try to give you a scripture or two <clears throat> on each of these points so that you can see a little bit of it for yourself. Matthew chapter 18. Let's look at this, this situation that required some uh, prompting, acting to the initial promptings of the Holy Spirit. In Matthew chapter 18, let me pick it up in verse 18. I'm sorry, Matthew chapter 8. Matthew chapter 8. I don't want to go that far this morning. Matthew chapter 8 and verse 18. This is going to be good. You're going to like this. And when Jesus saw great multitudes about him, he gave a commandment to depart to the other side. Then a certain scribe, scribe religious guy, knows the word, right? Came to Jesus and said, Teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. So Jesus said this, he said, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Then another of his disciples said, Lord, let me first go bury my father. Now Jesus is, is just giving them the, the secret, okay, I, I don't know where I'm, I'm you know, I, I don't know where, I don't, I'm not staying at Motel 6 tonight. But if you're willing to come with me, then you need to obey that initial prompting that is coming to your life to come follow me, Mr. Scribe, who knows Scripture. And that was a hard transition for him. See, Grace had not prepared him for that. He wasn't ready for it. Another one of his disciples said, Lord, let me first go bury my father. And Jesus said, follow me. Obey the prompting. And let the dead bury the dead. That's a hard, hard saying for people. Now, I, 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 don't think, I don't think the situation was demanding that the man ignore the death of his father. But what Jesus was getting across is, when I say follow me, when the Holy Spirit prompts, it's imperative that you obey instantly, that you obey immediately, that initial prompting. Now, that's going to require two things in your life, and this is part of what grace works. If you're going to obey the initial promptings of the Holy Spirit, then it's going to require a sensitivity to the Spirit, which means you're going to have to spend time to hear to, to be able to discern the voice. It's, number two, it's also going to require obedience, a quick response. If you have to sit there and think about it, you've missed it. The time that you spend with him, the sensitivity that you develop, is going to enable you to obey immediately. Now, Jesus was highly developed in these. Jesus knew how to obey the promptings from the Father. Let me give you two examples. Do you remember when, when uh, word came to Jesus that Lazarus had died? Mary and Martha sent word, probably thought he's going to scurry over there as quick as he could. Scripture says Jesus waited three days before he went. They weren't happy with Jesus. But he obeyed the prompting of the Father when the Father said, hold on, stay right here. I don't know if Jesus knew at that point he was going to raise Lazarus from the dead. Maybe he did, maybe he didn't. But the point I'm making here in this first point, 
that when grace fully develops Christ in your life, you're going to notice that there is an ability to obey the initial promptings of the Holy Spirit. So the prompting of the Spirit at the death of Lazarus was that Jesus hold on. And after three days, he was released to go. Now remember when the centurion came to Jesus, Jesus acted immediately and went to the centurion's house to heal his servant. He didn't wait three, four days. He didn't wait six hours. He went immediately. So there's just two little quick illustrations in the life of Jesus that, that shows that he was very sensitive to the prompting of his father. And you, you will become that too. I, I have a good feeling that many of you here at the Digital Cathedral have already noticed that in your life. That when you're going somewhere or you're in a store or whatever, that you notice when the, when the Holy Spirit prompts you maybe to smile at somebody, speak to somebody, uh, that you're conscious of his love moving out of you towards somebody. See, the Holy Spirit prompts you and the grace in you responds to the circumstances and the situations that are going on around you. That's right. Now, it always comes up. I always get a message when I teach along this line of obeying initial promptings. I always get several messages about, well, what if I make a mistake? What if I sense he's prompting me to do something and it turns out maybe I missed it? That, that's fine. This, you're on a journey. You're in a marathon. This is not a sprint. So if it turns out that maybe you missed it, you're a little bit wrong, you're going to learn from that. There's only, there's only two things happens in your life spiritually. Either you encounter victory or you learn, right? Holy Spirit will teach you. It, the Holy Spirit, is, I, I've often paralleled it to a GPS. I, I used to be, as a pastor, I was afraid that I would make a wrong decision that would affect hundreds of people in my church. And, I, you know, I would hesitate. But I learned something. When I came into grace, I learned that the Holy Spirit is like a GPS. Have you ever noticed that if you miss a turn on a GPS, it takes you down? It says, the GPS will say, go down 200 feet and make a U-turn. That's exactly what the Holy Spirit will do. But I, I got a little revelation on GPS this week. I hadn't thought about it. My GPS never tells me to back up. It always gives me a direction going forward. And the Holy Spirit will always give you, this is good, he always give you a direction going forward, never to back up. Forgetting those things that are behind. Okay, maybe you made a little miscalculation, made a, made a wrong turn. That's okay. He's going to direct you and show you always going forward. All right. So number one, the thing you're going to notice, Paul said, I travail until the Holy Spirit, until Christ is formed in you. And that's a work of the Spirit that comes by grace. First thing you notice is you become much more sensitive to obeying the initial promptings of the Holy Spirit. Number two. You're committed to following his will, even when you don't know everything that's involved with it. You know, if, if I look back and when I came into this message in 2000, if I would have known everything that was going to transpire, the friendships I would lose, the, the, the ignoring by the pastors that I had hobnobbed with for 45 years, 40 years, 45 years here in Houston, you know, I'm... I'm the outcast. If I if I would have known the rebuff, the rejection ahead of time, I may have said, "Wait a minute, let me just reconsider this." It's it's really a trust issue. You you're you're going to find as Christ is formed in you, and this is how Jesus lived, 
that you commit yourself to his will. Father, not my will, but your will be done. All right? Even though you may not know all of the all of the peculiarities and the circumstances and the events that's going to take place as you fulfill his will. And let me say again, it's a trust issue. Grace develops tremendous trust in his goodness. Because the further you move into this, come on, guys, further you move into this, you've noticed that he's always good. He's always gentle. He's always merciful. See, and per, as grace develops, Christ is formed in you, you get tremendous confidence in that. See, even he gives you favor. Listen, religion defines grace as unmerited favor. Now, you may feel like you don't merit the grace, but let me tell you, you absolutely merit every ounce of grace that is in the universe because of Jesus. Jesus is the man full of grace and truth, and he lives within you. His habitation is within you. So your, your outward feelings may say, man, I don't know if I deserve this, this grace. I, don't, I, the way I look at my life, I make mistakes. I do things, maybe I, I, I'm not sure Father's pleased with it. Listen, you merit the grace because of Jesus. But you are, you're at a place where you will follow his will, but you sense his will, even though you don't know necessarily where you're going. That happened to Paul. In, uh, in Acts chapter 9, Paul's wreaking havoc on the church. He's on the road to Damascus. He's knocked to the ground. A bright light shines. It's Jesus. And he says, Paul, it's really hard. Saul, it's really hard to kick against the pricks, isn't it? Paul says, Paul recognizes. He, and now watch the immediate response. You talk about disheveling point number one where you obey the initial promptings of the Spirit. You talk about obeying the initial promptings of the Spirit and, and your theological positions change. Look what happened to Paul in Acts chapter 9. This guy was highly educated, highly schooled, convinced that he was doing God's will in destroying the church, killing Christians, imprisoning Christians. He was on his way to imprison more. And Jesus intercedes. And and, and Paul said a very few words. He said, Lord, what do you want me to do? Eight words. And those eight words changed his entire life, changed his entire direction. Now, if he had said, let me go, let me think about this. Let me, let me ponder it. Let me, here's the Christian thing. Let me pray about this, Jesus. Let me, let me see if this is God's will. No, he obeyed the initial promptings of the Spirit. What, what do you want me to do? The, the, the benchmark of grace is that I'm willing to follow him even though I don't know exactly where I'm going. Isn't that what happened to Abraham? Watch this. God comes, and I, and I love the way God selects people. That's why I emphasize to you, especially those of you that maybe feel naturally unworthy, uneducated, that life has not, uh, you know, your life hasn't meant a whole lot. You haven't had a lot of meaning. You're just the person God uses. He picked Paul, a, a, a religious fanatic that was in deep air persecuting the church, it chose him. He goes, to, he goes in the Old Testament, Genesis chapter 12, and picks this idol worshiper from Mesopotamia named Abraham. 
or Abram before his name was changed. Picks Abram and he comes to him in his 12th chapter and watch. He gives him the opportunity to obey instantly. And he says, now the, Romans 12, let me just read a couple of ver first four verses. Now the Lord had said to Abram, get out of your country from your family and from your father's house to a land that I will show you. He didn't show him the land right then, did he? To a land that I'll show you. Abraham, where are we going? He said, I'll tell you when you get there. That's, 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 about, that's how obeying the initial promptings of the Holy Spirit is. And that's how being committed to the will of God, even though you don't know everything that's going to transpire. He didn't know he's going to face uh, a famine in the land that God gave him. He didn't know a lot of the events of his life. He's 75 years old. Now watch the promise. Get out of your country, from your family, and from your father's house to a land that I'll show you. And I'll make a great nation of you. I'll bless you. If you, if you commit yourself to my will, even though you don't know where you're going, I'm going to bless you big time. In fact, Abraham, I'm going to bless every nation in the world because of you. So Abraham departed as the Lord had spoken to him. He made one blunder. He said, don't take anybody. Get away from your family, from your father's house. He makes one, one mistake, and it cost him. He had to make an adjustment. He took Lot with him. And Abraham was, Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. And what did he do? He obeyed. He got his, he got his stuff together and, and got out of town. Right. So you, he, you, you learn to rest and respond in obedience to his promptings. Now here's what I've discovered. When you do that, it takes all the pressure off of you to try to figure it all out. Have you ever done that? Like you sense the Father's leading you to do something, so you sit down. I, I actually went to a pastor's seminar one time, and they, they taught us to take a sheet of paper, I think it's the Ben Franklin close, and put a line down the middle of the paper, then put all the reasons on one side, why I should, all the reasons on the other side, why I shouldn't, and whichever, whichever column has the most reasons, that's what you do. Either you do or you don't. That's a terrible way to follow the initial promptings of the Holy Spirit, and it's a terrible way to, um, to tie into God's will when you don't especially know where you're going. This is an inner work. This is why it's a grace work, because it's all within inside of us. And I, I love this because the, the more you get into this, the more he works it in you, without your efforts, without your works, without your dedication, the more he works it within you, the less pressure you feel because now you're resting in him to complete what he started. All right, number three. Number three, I'm available to serve him no matter what the job is. I'm available to serve, number three. Number one was I respond immediate to the immediate promptings of the Holy Spirit. Number two, I follow his will even when I don't know everything that's involved. And number three, I'm available to serve him whatever the job, whatever he lays before me. This again is the beauty of grace. There is no hierarchy in grace. There, there is no... Uh, complicated governmental structure. There's nobody at the top of the pecking order. See, there's no platform superstars. There's nobody that ranks higher than anybody else. We are all sons and daughters of God. 
different levels of maturity. I'll grant you that. Different levels of understanding. That could be true. But at the foot of the cross, the ground's totally level. Nobody, is, nobody has a leg up on anybody else. And this is, this, is, this is very important because when you're available to do whatever needs to be done, uh, that allows you, and here again, this is, helps take the pressure off, that allows you to gather up all your personal expectations. See, all, all of the things they taught you in church, like, man, you, what, you have to have a, de you have a destiny. You have a, what is the vision you have for your life? Man, you can just take and blow that vision up because all he asks you to do is what's in front of you, what, whatever job he asks you to do. And that's extremely important. And to do that job is going to take the first two. You obey the promptings of the Holy Spirit. You do his will, even though you don't know all the repercussions. So he may ask you to do something. Let me say it like this, that you might consider below your pay grade. You might have a bachelor's, master's, and a PhD in ministry, have a doctor of ministry from Global Grace Seminary, which we're going to be rolling out in August. You may have, uh, you may have the doctor's degree we're offering now. You may have gone through all of that. And he asks you, he takes you into a, a home group and says, I want you just to come set up the chairs every week. You go, hold on here, man. I am, I am Dr. Smith. Set the chairs up. Are you kidding me? Yeah, that's, that's how the kingdom operates. Jesus, Jesus said, said this. He said, it's, it's the way of the Gentiles to develop this pecking order and for you to strive to become great. He said, that's not the way it is in the kingdom. In the kingdom, if you want to become numero uno, you become servant of everybody. Then he brings it into his own life and he said, I didn't come to be served. I didn't come to be ministered to. I came to serve. I came to, to minister. I came to give my life as a ransom for many. Do, do you see, Jesus didn't just tell us, he demonstrated. He was available to wash feet. He was available to heal. He was able to, to pray. He was able to give his life to reconcile the cosmos. Now that's that's like top shelf, one man happening that no one else could do, and yet he was willing to wash feet. So he's showing us that the entire range of jobs in the kingdom that's set before us, the, the entire, let's call them ministries, that, that's, maybe you relate to that. Every ministry <clears throat> that Jesus could perform on earth from what we would look at naturally and say that's the least, to the greatest Jesus was able to function in. See, if grace controls your life, then rest assured you are on target. You are, whatever you're doing, the job you're doing, the ministry you're performing, you're right on target. You're right on time. Even, even again, if you feel like, man, I'm not making any headway. I'm not sure. I'm, I'm, I have more talent than this. I have more ability, more anointing. No, you're right on time. You're right on time. And no matter what your feelings are about it. And I want you to really understand it because I mean, I remember when I started the church in Houston way back in 1980. I did everything, man. I plunged toilets. I ran the vacuum. I set the chairs up. I, I had to do everything. Finally, people began to come in that would set the, and say, let me take this off. And they would do the things. And it really, and then it got to the point where I had, you know, a staff of pastors took care of all the daily activities. I was free 
to give myself to prayer and to the word, which eventually led to the bombshell of grace. But it was over a period of years. But I know what it is to do every, every function there is. I've done it. I've been there, done that, just like Jesus had as well. So grace gives you a deep enough pockets of love to know where to say no. Initial promptings, Holy Spirit. Follow His will. You don't know where it is. Any job, no matter what it is. Some you say no. And sometimes you say yes to Him, and there's no regret, regardless of what the thing is. Some of the most fulfilling times I had was when I was doing a lot of stuff that later people did. All right? It's, it's, as grace pushes you over the tripping point, over the tipping point, and you're serving Him no matter what He asks you to do. It, the whole thing, man, becomes an adventure. Life to me is an adventure. If you would have, if you would have told me seven, eight years ago that I, I wouldn't be in a building, that I would be doing everything I was on the internet, I would be doing the digital cathedral, I'd be doing Wednesday Night Live, I'd have a ministry page on, on Facebook. If you would have told me that, I would not have believed it because I had, I had envisioned myself, uh, I had envisioned myself to just being in the building, do what I was doing, till I was you know, no longer able to. But when I, he began to draw me and say, look, you got a message that needs to go to the nations. One of the things, how am I, how am I going to be supported? See, that, that was a wrong question. My, my response should have been, okay, no matter what you ask me to do, I, I'm committed to it, and I'm available to serve whatever the job is. So when I came out of the building, I, had, I didn't know how I was going to do all this. He just took me step by step by step. But when you serve him, no matter what he asks, it because this has been an unbelievable adventure. I've met people. I'm in contact with people, connect with people I never knew existed before. See, here's what I want to say. Listen to me carefully. Grace creates availability. Availability is an attitude and a desire. When you are available and the Holy Spirit begins to prompt you, you become available no matter what he asks, right? All right, now, again, it's God that works in you, both to will and to do of his good pleasure. When he gives you something and he puts the will in there, you have a tremendous desire to do it. And it becomes fun, becomes an adventure. It's not that drudgery that you did in church. I remember trying to get people to volunteer for jobs in the church. It was like pulling teeth. Now, there were a few that were dedicated to do a lot of things. But to get the mass of people, you know, the 5,000 that show up for the loaves and the fish, to get them to do anything was really difficult. But when, the, when grace grabs you and you become available, it becomes an adventure because it becomes your attitude and your desire. Remember, it's God that works in you, both to will and to do of his good pleasure. Number four. Number four. Here's the fourth signpost. Pleasing him takes priority over pleasing other people. Do you recall the incident in Acts when, when, the, when the boys were out preaching and teaching all over town and they, they, they pulled him in before the magistrate, they pulled him in before the religious council, and they said, I don't know what you, and they, in effect, were saying, I don't know what you're doing, this name you're teaching, this doctrine, but you need to quit it right now. Stop it. We're warning you. And Peter looked at them and said, 
We need to obey God rather than man. So Peter was saying, we need to please God and not you that are threatening us and putting pressure on us. There is tremendous spiritual pressure to conform. I understand that. It, It can be very tough to go it alone. It can be tough. It probably was difficult for Peter. He they were Jews. They may have known the people that had called them in and were threatening them. See, no, nobody likes to be rejected. Rejection is not a, a good feeling. We all like to be accepted. We all like pats on the back. We all like to get positive statements toward us. And I know it's easy to cave in or back up or simply give in. I thank God Peter didn't. Because after that, it was revealed to him. Remember when the, when the sheet came down? And God said, whatever I've made clean, you can't call unclean. And so he accept, He saw the Gentiles in a different light. That was a work of grace. I told you when grace works in you, you see people differently. And Peter saw all, all humanity differently after that experience. It never would have happened if he hadn't come through that happening in Acts chapter 5 early in the development of the early church. Thank God they didn't. See, there's something about reformers. Reformers of which you're one. I've told you that time and time again. Reformers have got to know that they know that they know. And they have to know that grace empowers them to be able to stand by themselves, stand alone against the flow if need be. Some of you, I know from your Facebook posts, I know from your messages to me. I just had a message this week from from a young man in a church and he made a Twitter. He was on staff, a key person. He made a Twitter about hell is an illusion. And he ran, He is in the middle of a buzzsaw right now. And the church, I know the church is backed in a corner because if they don't do anything to him, then they're, he's bringing something in that they don't agree with. And if they get rid of him, there's going to be people that want to know why they got rid of him. And when they sell, say that he doesn't believe in hell, They're going to do some investigating. They're going to talk to him themselves. Church is in a tough position right there. God is working in that church through this young man, and they don't even realize it. They will. It will happen. So, you know, it's hard to go against it. Peter did in Acts chapter 5. The hardest one probably is your family. When I started teaching this, I I didn't really have any family members that understood this. now, I think every family member, my, my brothers, sisters, my sister, my brothers, plural brothers, singular sister, I think they've tapped into it. They understand the message. See, in, in uh, Matthew chapter 12, Jesus is teaching. And mama and the brothers come over to where he's teaching and they tap one of the apostles and they say, look, go inside and tell Jesus that we're here. Now, when mama shows up, when you're a good Jewish boy, and mama shows up, you're going to go do what mama says. See, ma- mama was there to talk to her son. And Jesus didn't run right out. He, di- he didn't yield to the pressure that came from his family. Do you hear me? Some of you are facing tremendous pushback and opposition right now from your family. And this is where the, the, the power of grace will enable you and help you to be able to stand alone against that pushback. It just happens that way. The, the, the tough one is the family. At least it can be. Tough one for me was my church family, right? 
Grace will help you know that your priority is to please the one that called you. That initial prompting, right? That initial prompting, doing his will, even though you don't know what it is. Uh, uh, following through with it, giving him priority over other people. See, that, that family can be well-meaning. People are very well-meaning sometimes and really feel like you've gone off the deep end and you've gone in a direction that is total heresy. So they, they will in good conscience probably resist you. That's where you've got to know that you know that you know because you're going to sense their love to you and you're going to begin to question if you don't know that you know that you know. You're going to begin to question and you're going to begin to, to back up on what he has shown you. But you, you follow through, you respond to him no matter what the circumstances. You do that immediately. You said it, you do his will, even though you don't know everything that it is. Okay, you, you're tracking with me this morning. Have you sensed some of that beginning to rise up within you? All right, number five is the big one. This is the big one. Number five, I rest and watch him turn all my difficulties into apparent, now let me say it this way. I rest and watch him turn all my difficulties and apparent failures into your greatest achievement. The thing that you thought was your biggest failure, thing that you thought was your greatest difficulty, biggest obstacle, hardest thing, that becomes the launch pad to your greatest achievement. I want you to look at, you can go through scripture and I'll just, Thumbnail a couple for you. If you go through scripture, every prominent person <laughs> had difficulty, had problems. Jesus said, in the world you'll have tribulation. Be of good cheer, I've overcome the world. So you're, you're going to have some problems. You're gonna, life is life, y'all. Living on this planet, there is still some contrary ad adversarial things that are going to try to snare you. And sometimes we get tripped up. Sometimes in the past, we've done things that are still causing us problems. I'm thinking about Moses right now. Moses had good intentions when he killed the, uh, when he killed the slave master that was beating on the Egyptian, his, or the Egyptian that was beating on the Israelite. He had good intentions when he killed that Egyptian. He was in the wrong. The Egyptian was wrong. But it cost him. He fled. And it took 40 years on the backside of a desert, tending his father-in-law's sheep, stinky old job. It took 40 years to get Egypt out of Moses. Egypt, Moses ran in a day, but it took 40 years to get Egypt out of him. That was a tremendous difficulty, tremendous problem. There was, that was a, looking at it, that was a failure thing that he did. And yet God was using it to prepare him. So on the backside of the desert, Moses just rested and he watched God work it out until God finally spoke to him one day. I wonder why my sleeve keeps unbuttoning. God spoke to him one day and said, hey, I want you to go back and deliver all the children of Israel out of Egypt. He said, who am I? 40 years in the desert, he couldn't communicate. He was babbling, stuttering. How about Abraham? Abraham's 75 years old. God says, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to make great nations out of you. Abraham's 75 years old. And the difficulty was, the, 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 the problem was, the difficulty was he had no children. And he's 75 years old. 
Right? So he's, he's married to Sarah, who's also an older woman. It's like Abraham. And it wasn't until 100, he was 100 years old that God fulfilled it. But he took the greatest difficulty, the greatest problem, and turned it into a source of blessing for the nations through which Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, through which Jesus eventually came. I like David. Most of David's problems he created himself. Bathsheba. Well, I mean, I could go, I could just list them all out. I don't have time this morning to do all that. I'm just making the point that great men and women throughout Scripture, the difficulties, the problems they face, the, turned out to be their launch pad into their greatest achievement. Same thing with, with you. You look at me this morning and say, man, I've been in prison. I've been divorced. Uh, I don't have any money. I've been broke. I'm from, you might be like Gideon. I'm from the least family and the least nation, and I'm the least member in that family. I mean, he had nothing going with him. God shows up and says, mighty man of valor. He takes all those difficulties, all those problems, and turns them into Gideon's greatest achievement. How about Peter, man? He denied Jesus. You talk about a failure and a difficulty denying the Savior of the world, not one time, not twice, but three times. And Jesus said, you're the rock, man. He still went through problems. And eventually Paul looks at Peter and says, that dude right there, he's one of the pillars of the church. And I already talked about Paul. Paul wreaking havoc. He, he was a jihadist for Judaism. A jihadist, he was destroying the church. He turns around, one meeting with Jesus changed his entire life. One meeting with Jesus changed his identity. One meeting with Jesus restored his innocence and, and, and kryptonited every negative thing that had happened in, in his life. Never forget, grace is not a doctrine. It's not just a word. It's a person. And when grace works in our life, change takes place. And in fact, you can go through the Bible and wherever the word grace is, insert Jesus and it works perfect. He is the man of grace. Grace that rules my life, or saying that Jesus is Lord, gives me, and I can tell you from personal experience, it will give you tremendous resiliency so that when you're knocked down, it's his power that lifts you back up. That's, that's the empowerment of grace. That's what grace does in our life. Religion, religion won't tell you this. I'm going to tell you this morning. I'm going to tell you a secret. Religion, will, you, all your years in church, you were never told this. I'm going to tell you this morning. Are you ready? The truth is this. Grace is going to write the final chapter of your life. And I'm not talking just about earthly life. I'm talking about when you switch levels of consciousness, when you make a transition into a different realm. Grace is going to continue to work, and grace will, will continue to take you, Paul said, through the ages to come to discover the depths of the grace and the love that he has for you. So without a pure grace, in the, the kind of grace we talk about here, no law, no flesh, no hoops, no works, none of that stuff trying to sway us in life. And if you don't, if you don't have grace, the five things that I mentioned this morning, five things that I mentioned, if, you, if you're not into grace if grace isn't working you're going to try to do these things in yourself and you're going to fail miserably 
My message this morning is this. There are signposts. Paul said, till Christ is formed in you, he's going to keep working. He's going to keep teaching, going to keep unveiling, going to keep bringing revelation until Christ is fully exposed, until you see everything that the finished work of the cross has given to you from the very beginning, but you didn't know it. You're going to see every revelation that is available, but your eyes have been closed. And until that time, grace will continue to work. Paul said it like this. Let's all agree with this. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15, long about verse 10, he said, I am what I am by the grace of God. That's all any of us can ever claim to be. We are what we are through the grace of God. You, you, you know that grace rules when knowing him becomes the obsession of your life. When you have a hunger to know him more than anything else, grace, grace lights that fire. When he, he lives as you, you're no longer living for him. He's not just living through you. He, you're living as him and he's living as you. As he is, so are we in this world. It's only one life, one power, one mind, one will. You look at him and you say, man, you're the owner of everything I got. You're the vine. I'm just the branch. I'm bearing the fruit, but you're sending the nutrients. You're, you're giving the, the power. See, when he's the source of everything you need, and you've learned to lean back into that, the abundant life Jesus said was ours now in this present world is his gift to you this morning. Everything that he stands for, everything that he represents, that's his gift to you. All you have now to do is just discover. <clears throat> this is an adventure. This is an exciting life, man, I tell you. I wouldn't trade it for anything. All we got to do, do now is to discover what has always been. Open your eyes this morning and see his grace growing in your life, changing you, molding you, becoming more as he is every day, changing you. And all you're doing is resting in him and letting him love you. Can you do that this morning? Can you just rest and let him love you and watch the five signposts we talked about this morning that grace will automatically begin to develop in your life? Maybe just a little faint glimpse right now. Maybe they're all five strong right now. Maybe some are you're functioning and others you haven't quite yet got a hold of. That's fine. Grace is going to continue to teach you and lead you and influence you until you come to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, or as he said in Galatians 4.19, until Christ is fully formed within you, and that becomes the total source out of which you function. Amen? All right, I think that's enough for this morning. That gives you a lot to chew on and think about. Thank you for being with me. Thank you for your support. I especially appreciate those of you that have done something, that you do something on a monthly basis. Um, that's just putting skin in the game, right? It just shows me we're on the journey together. We're partnering together. And I sincerely, deeply appreciate it. See you Wednesday night at the Secret Place back next Sunday morning. We'll pick it up and we'll keep going. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put another chapter down on grace, I think, next Sunday morning that I think you're going to find extremely enlightening. So we'll see you then. God bless. Thanks for lending us your ears. Just a quick reminder. Our digital cathedral on YouTube gives subscribers the privilege of a front row seat every week. It's a place where our collective excitement amplifies. If you're ready to give, go to donkeithley.com and click on Donate. Your continuous support propels our growth, and for that, we're immensely grateful.
Don't forget to hit that follow button and spread the love by sharing this life-giving message with your friends. Have a week filled with blessings and divine encounters. Until next time, stay in grace.